Well, good morning. It's good to see you on this beautiful day. You may be saying beautiful day is kind of rainy and dreary outside, but every day is a beautiful day when you're breathing in your life. Amen. And every day is a beautiful day when you've experienced the grace and the mercy and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we get started this morning, I just want to take a moment and I want us to rejoice with our West Campus because this past Wednesday night at our West Campus, they baptized three students on Wednesday night. And so let's give God a hand for that right now. It's just... It's exciting to see God working in lives not only here but at our West Campus as well. Now, let me ask you a question as we get started this morning. Can you imagine being asked a question that has life and death implications? What I mean by that is your answer to the question will determine whether you live or whether you die. This morning, we're beginning a six-week study in the life of Jesus. We're seeking to discover who he is. Is he the Son of God? And as we do this study for the next six weeks, we're not going to begin where you would think most people would begin, at, at the beginning of Jesus' life, his birth. No, we're going to begin on the very last day of Jesus' life. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And as we get to Luke chapter 22, we discover that at this point in Jesus' life, he is about 33 years of age. He has been ministering, he has been teaching for about three years. And there were times when when great crowds were following him. We even read in Scripture that at one point, he fed 5,000 people with a few pieces of bread, a few, uh, a few loaves of bread, a few pieces of fish that had come to hear him teach. So at times there were thousands of people who were there to hear him teach. But there were other times that the Bible teaches us that the crowds left him, the crowds went away from him. Because the fact of the matter is, Jesus' teachings oftentimes were controversial. Jesus' teachings were oftentimes very difficult to handle. Now, as we get to Luke 22, we discover that Jesus had come to Jerusalem with his disciples. He was there to celebrate the Passover feast with them. This is something that that every Jew did once a year. They would come together and they would remember how Jesus had delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and they would they would sacrifice the Passover lamb, they would eat the Passover meal, and they would remember God's deliverance of them from slavery. Well, Jesus had eaten this meal with his disciples, and after they had the meal, Jesus left, his disciples followed, and they went to a place called the Mount of Olives. And while he was there, Jesus began to pray. And after Jesus finished praying, a, a crowd of people gathered where he was at. There, were, there was a battalion of Roman soldiers, there were temple guards, and they had come to arrest Jesus. And that's what they did. There at the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, they took Jesus, they arrested him, and they took him to the house of Caiaphas. And, and the Bible tells us that, that that began a long night for Jesus. Because throughout the night, 
He was blindfolded. He was beaten mercilessly. He was, he was um, mocked. I, I want you to do something, if you will, for me this morning. I want you to take a moment and close your eyes. And I want you to imagine what it would be like with your eyes closed. You can't see at all. And all of a sudden, you're struck. Someone hits you viciously. It comes out of the darkness. You don't know where it's coming from. And then you're struck on the other side. And then you're hit from the back. And then you're hit from the front. And and all of this time, you can't defend yourself. You can't protect yourself because you can't see. And as you're trying to stay on your feet, because you know that if you fall to the ground, they're going to begin to kick you. You're you're wondering where the next blow was going to come from. And out of the darkness, they began to mock you. They were saying things like, who hit you this time, prophet? This goes on throughout the night. You can open your eyes. By early morning, Jesus is bruised. He is bleeding. He is in immense pain. And he's taken before the religious leaders of his day. And and they give him a mock trial. And that's where I want us to begin reading. In Luke 22, beginning in verse 66. I want you to listen to what God's word says. At daybreak, all night he had been beaten, he had been mocked and And at daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of law, met together and Jesus was led before them. If you were the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all ask, are you the Son of God? Now, understand in Matthew's gospel, it says that the high priest said, I charge you under oath, are you the son of God? In other words, the high priest was saying, you are under oath. You have to tell us the truth. Are you the son of God? And Luke's gospel says, he replied, you're you're right in saying, I am. And then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it. From his own lips. Don't understand. Jesus is standing before an angry mob. They have been odds. They have been at odds with him from the beginning of his ministry. And now their one desire is to put him to death. But they know to do that. They have to have a reason. Something that is is punishable by death. And, And so they're trying to commit or get Jesus to commit blasphemy, to say something that is disparaging of God or or even to claim that he is God. And understand, if at this point Jesus would have given any other answer, he would have most likely been let go. But Jesus gave the one answer that allowed them to proceed, that allowed them to put him to death. Now, why did he do that? Why did he claim to be the Son of God? Why did he claim to be God in the flesh? You've got to know that that if he wasn't God, 
Now was the time to tell them because, because his answer certainly didn't benefit him. As a matter of fact, his answer condemned him. And yet, repeatedly, emphatically, clearly, unapologetically, Jesus claimed, I am the Son of God. And the only reason, the only reason for him to do that is because he was convinced it was true. Now, I want you to turn over in your Bibles from Luke's gospel to John's gospel. John is the very next gospel, so just turn over to the right and you'll be in John's gospel. And I want you to turn to John chapter 19. In John chapter 19, we, we discover that, that this trial before this pseudo-religious group is now over and, and they have brought him to Pilate because, to be honest with you, even though, according to what they believed, Jesus was guilty of a crime that was punishable by death, they could not carry out the sentence. They needed the help of the Roman governor to do that. And so they brought Jesus before Pilate. And, and when he was before Pilate, he, Pilate initially said, I don't see anything wrong with this man. But listen to what it says in, in John 19, beginning in verse 7. It says, the Jews insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die. Because he claimed to be the son of God. And then notice what it says. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Now, what you need to understand is this. Jesus was put to death because of the answer he gave. If he would have given any other answer, if he would have said, I'm not God, he would have most likely lived. If he would have said, I'm not the Christ, he would have most likely lived. If he would have never claimed to be the Son of God, he would have most likely, or the Son of Man, he would have most likely lived. But Jesus didn't do any of that. Repeatedly, he said, I am the Christ. I am the Son of Man, and I am the Son of God. Now, notice how Pilate reacted to what the Jews said. It says that he was even more afraid. Now, what that means is, even before this moment, Pilate was already afraid. But when they said he claims to be the Son of God, Pilate was even more afraid. Now, why? Why was that? Perhaps it was because he remembered the dream that his wife had. Because his wife had sent a messenger to tell him, I've had a dream, and my dream says, don't harm this man. In other words, there's something different about this man. There's something special about this man. Don't harm this man. That may have been why Pilate was afraid. He, he knew the dream that his wife had and he was wondering, why did she have that dream? What does that mean to me? Maybe, just maybe, Pilate was wondering, what if this is true? What if, what if this man standing before me is the Son of God. What if it's true? How does that affect me? How does that affect the decision that I'm about to make? And so Pilate was scared to death. But, but understand, that's the reality each and every one of us must face. Because one day we're going to come face to face with the reality that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God 
And he was put to death because of that claim. And, and we have to decide what we're going to do with that claim. Now, I want you to look back with me at Jesus' mock trial. And, and as we do, I want you to notice three things that this passage teaches us about Jesus and who he claimed to be. Because each of these three things are very important. The first thing is, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus claimed to be the Christ. The, the religious leaders began their questioning by asking, Are you the Christ? And Jesus answered, If I tell you, you won't believe me. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, You've already made up your mind. Anything I say to you won't do any good. Now, there are some people that, that believe that this passage is saying that, that Jesus was saying, if I tell you I'm not the Christ, you won't believe me anyway. You've already got it in your mind that you want to kill me. So no matter what I say, it doesn't matter. You're going to put me to death. But that's not what this passage says. What Jesus is saying here is, I've told you before. And if I tell you again, it's not going to change your mind. So why should I even tell you again? Now, what does this mean when Jesus claimed to be the Christ? Well, the Christ was a, a New Testament term for an Old Testament word that means Messiah. It means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, they would anoint three different groups. The prophet, they would anoint the priest, and they would anoint the king. And, and when Jesus comes together, he comes together as the Messiah who fulfills all of those roles. The prophet and the priest and the king. In the Old Testament, we are told that the Jews were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Christ. They were awaiting him. The anointed one, the one who would deliver them, the one who would redeem them, the one who would save them. They were looking for the Messiah. They were, and the Samaritans were. The problem was, they were looking for a Messiah they wanted, not the Messiah they needed. And, and the truth is, that's what we all do. We want a Messiah, we want a Savior who will do what we want. We want a Messiah who will make us feel better when we're in pain. We we want a Messiah who will lift us up when we're down. We want a Messiah who will write a check when we need some money. We want a Messiah who will bail us out when we're in trouble. But we don't want a Messiah that will deal with our primary problem, our main problem. And that's the problem of our sinfulness. You see, the Jews were looking for a political Messiah, a political Savior that would bring them from the bondage they were in. At present, the Romans. Before that, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they, and they had been under bondage to various people. And they were looking for this ruler, this deliverer, this savior who would release them from this yoke of bondage. But what they didn't realize is that the prophets weren't talking about ultimately a political messiah. They were talking about a spiritual messiah. One that would not deliver us from the yoke of Political bondage, but the one who would deliver us from the yoke of spiritual bondage, our sins. And over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus is referred to as the Christ. When the angel appeared to Mary, she said, the baby you're carrying is the Christ. When Herod heard about this birth, he said, where will the Christ be born? 
When Andrew was introducing his brother Simon to Jesus, he said, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, that Samaritan. She said, we are looking for the Messiah, the Christ, that is to come. And Jesus said, I am he. When Jesus was standing with Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, Martha said, I believe that that you are the Christ. Even the demons believe that, that he was the Christ. The Bible says in Luke 4 that Jesus did not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Now there is a passage in Luke 4 before that passage that I think really clearly tells us who Jesus felt like he was, that that identifies Jesus as the Christ. I believe that that this event in Jesus' life took place at the beginning of his ministry. In in other words, it was one of those, those beginning moments in his ministry. It occurs in his hometown in the town of Nazareth. And and in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, this is what it says. He, Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He he went on the Sabbath every day to worship the Father. And he stood up to read. In other words, Jesus was the one who was going to read the Scripture that morning. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, for the prisoners and recovery for sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were, were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, every Jew knew that Isaiah 61 was a messianic prophecy. In other words, that passage was talking about the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, this will be the ministry that he performs in our midst. And Jesus reads that passage. And and as all the people in the synagogue are sitting there, they're wondering, what is he going to tell us about the Christ? about the Messiah. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, the words you just heard, the words about the one who is anointed to come to you, to preach deliverance, to tell the good news, to give sight to the blind, today, that prophecy has been fulfilled. You see, Jesus claimed to be the Christ. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. The question is, Do you believe it? And so Jesus claimed to be the Christ. But next, Jesus claimed to be the Son of Man. He said, first of all, I'm the Christ. And then he said, second, I am the Son of Man. But what does that mean? When when the Scripture speaks about the Son of Man, what does that mean? In Luke's Gospel, that's the most popular term that Jesus used to describe himself. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. Now, first of all, When it speaks of the Son of Man, it speaks to Jesus' humanity. Jesus took on flesh and bone. He became a man. And because of that, because Jesus took on flesh and bone, he knows our pain. 
He knows our suffering. He, he knows our struggles. He knows what it's like to be hungry and thirsty. He knows what it's like to be lonely and rejected. He knows what it's like to not be able to sleep. He knows what it is like to, to go on a little rest. He knows what it's like to be in pain. And he knows what it's like to face death. You see, Jesus was a man. He took on flesh and bone just like us. But you need to understand when the Bible speaks of the Son of Man, it's not just talking about Jesus' humanity. Jesus did become a man just like we are. But because Jesus became a man, because Jesus took on flesh and bone, he is now in the position where he is able to be our judge. Here's what it says in John 5 verse 27. It says this about Jesus. And he, the Father, has given him, Jesus, authority to judge. Why? Because he is the Son of Man. Jesus was given authority to judge us because he knows what we have experienced. He knows what we have faced. He knows what we have gone through. And because of that, he is a rightful judge and he is a true judge. But understand, when the scripture says that Jesus is the Son of Man, it goes even further than that. Because the religious leaders who were listening to Jesus would remember a passage that is found in the prophecy of Daniel. And as Jesus claimed to be the Son of Man who would be seated at the right hand of the Father, they remembered that passage. Let me read it to you. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 it says, and this is Daniel speaking, he said, In my vision at night I looked and... And there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he, the one likened to the Son of Man, was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so when Jesus said, I am the Son of Man who will be seated at the right hand of the Father, they were remembering what Daniel said. I have seen the Son of Man. He is coming with the clouds. He has gone into the presence of the Ancient of Days. And he will set up a kingdom that will last forever. And he is to be worshipped and served and praised. And so as Jesus claimed to be the Son of Man, he was claiming that I'm the one who will be worshipped for all eternity. I am the one who will be served forever and ever. I am the one who will establish a kingdom that will never end. Now understand, that is as big of a declaration as it gets. Because Jesus is saying, I may stand before you right now, but one day you'll stand before me. And one day, my kingdom will be established. And one day, people from every nation and every language and every culture will bow down and worship me and serve me. Listen, this is worship language. Jesus, the Son of God, 
is worthy of our worship. This is missional language. Jesus, the Son of God, is worthy of our mission to go into the world and and share with the world who he is and what he has done. So who is he? Well, he's the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, who came to seek and to save the lost. He is the one who comes bringing good news. He's the one who comes setting the prisoners free. He's the one who comes opening the eyes of the blind so they can realize who he is. Who is Jesus? He's the son of man. He took on flesh and blood, but he's much more than that. Because he became a man, he is the one who is able to judge us. But it's much more than that. Because he is the son of man. He is the one who is coming one day with the clouds. And when he comes with the clouds, he's going to set up his kingdom that will reign forever and ever and ever. Well, by this time, you can imagine the religious leaders were getting a little hot and bothered. And so that's when they ask him, are you the son of God? And Jesus said, I am. Now understand this. Don't miss this. This isn't saying that Jesus is is God's son physically. There are some groups that believe this, like the Mormons. The Mormons believe that, that God, the father, literally came down and had sex with Mary. And, and Jesus was the result of that sexual union. That, that's what they believe. That's why the religion of Islam has a hard time when we talk about Jesus being the Son of God because they, they assume the same things that the Mormons believe. They assume that God had sex with a woman. And, and they say, that's, that's vile. How could God do that? But that's not what this is saying. When it's saying that Jesus is the Son of God, this is simply a title that refers to Jesus as deity. Jesus is God. In John chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus was talking and teaching, and, and it became clear that Jesus was, was saying that he was, he was God. And in verse 18 of John 5, it says, For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. When the Apostle Paul got saved on that road to Damascus and and the scales fell from his eyes, the Bible says he immediately went out and began to proclaim, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. So here's Jesus. He's in a life and death situation. His answer to their questions will determine, does he continue to live on planet earth as a man, or does he face a horrific death? And the answer he gives leads to his death, because he says, I am the Christ, the anointed one, the one you're looking for, I am he. I'm the son of man. I'm not only man, but I am the one who is going to judge the world. And I am the one who one day is coming with the clouds. And I will set up a kingdom that will reign forever and ever and ever. And people from every tongue, every nation, every culture will bow down and worship me. And then he said, and yes, I am the son of God. Now, understand, 
His answer has implications that affect each and every one of us. Because if Jesus is the Son of God, that changes everything. If Jesus isn't the Son of God, that changes everything. So the question we have to ask is this. How will we answer him? What is your answer to his claim? What do you say about Jesus? And understand, this is a question you can't ignore. Some people say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to answer that question. But in not answering the question, you're answering the question. You say, what do you mean? Let me, let me give you an example. Guys, suppose you find a beautiful woman that you love. You're in love with her and you go out and you save all of your money and you buy the most expensive ring that you can possibly afford to give her because you want her to be your bride. You want to spend the rest of your life with her. And you plan a romantic evening and you get everything right. And then at the right moment, at just the right time, you get down on that knee and you say, will you marry me? Now, there's several options. She can go, oh, yes. Or she can say, no. You're joking, right? Or she can just stand there. Now, now to hear me. Some of you guys may be gullible. And you may think, well, I think she's just so flabbergasted she can't tell me yes. But, but let me just say, men, if you're on your knee and you pop that ring out and you say, will you marry me? And she doesn't almost immediately say yes. Her lack of an answer is no. And so if you're not married and you experience that, just come to me and I'll do some counseling. But the lack of answer is an answer. The lack of giving an answer is the answer no. So each and every one of us must answer the claim. Who is Jesus? Is he the son of God? Is he the Christ? Is he the son of man? It's either going to be yes or no. Now there was a point in Jesus' life where he raised that question to his disciples. It's found in three of the Gospels. So I always believe if, if anything's in the Bible, it's important. But if anything is in the Bible more than once, then that's one of those things that God really wants us to make sure we don't miss. Would you agree with that? And so we see this story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. And in, in Matthew's gospel, is found in chapter 16. Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi. He's with his disciples. And they're gathered there. Let me read this story. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter blurted out before anyone else had the chance to respond. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for, for this was not revealed to you by men, but by my father in heaven. Now notice, there are a variety of answers to that question, isn't there? Who is the son of man? And in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, 
It doesn't say son of man. In those two gospels, Jesus said, who do, who do people say that I am? In, in other words, what's the word on the street? What's, what's the popular consensus? What are people saying about me? And, and the disciples said, well, they're saying a variety of things about you. Some are saying this is who you are. Some are saying this is who you are. Others are saying this is who you are. And here's what I've discovered. There is never a shortage when it comes to our opinions about Jesus. Would you agree? I mean, everybody has an opinion about Jesus. The problem is, the problem is, most often our opinions are based not on our examining the evidence, not on our prayer. Our opinions are based on our upbringing and our culture. And so here were the people saying, well, this is who we think you are and this is who we think you are. Well, today, some of the answers that that people give about Jesus are these. Some, very few, but some say Jesus was a legend. In other words, he didn't really exist. Jesus is just like Robin Hood and King Arthur and William Tell. They're really cool stories that have probably been developed over time from a historical character that lived, but, but the person himself is not real. And there are people that believe that today. But understand, very few people believe that. You know the reason? Because if somebody believes that, they're an idiot. You say, Rocky, that's harsh. No, that's reality. If someone says Jesus is a legend, they are going against all of history. There is more historical evidence to prove that Jesus was a real man than there is to prove that George Washington was a real man and our first president, or Abraham Lincoln was a real man. Now, everyone in here will say, well, we can't debate those things. George Washington was a real man. Jesus was a real man. Or uh, Abraham Lincoln was a real man. Understand there's more evidence to prove that Jesus was a real historical figure than there was either of those two. So some say that he was a legend. Others say, well, Jesus was a good man He was a moral man. He was a great teacher, but but he wasn't God. But understand, listen, Jesus never claimed to be a good man, though he was. Jesus never claimed to be a great teacher, though he was. But Jesus did claim to be the Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He claimed those things. And so for us to say that Jesus was a good man, he was a great teacher, and yet we deny those claims that Jesus made, that doesn't make sense. There are some that would say, well, Jesus was a liar. But my, my struggle with that is this. That there are liars out there. There are con artists, aren't there? There are charlatans. There are false prophets and false teachers who who get people to follow them. And they know, they know that they are lying. They're doing it to be self-serving. They're doing it for what it will get them, for the power it will get them, for the money it will get them. But, But for Jesus, if Jesus was lying, why did he continue to lie All the way up to the point that it would lead to his death. You see, it was no longer self-serving to lie if he was lying. It was no longer to protect himself if he was lying. Because now he was lying 
so that he would die. And I mean, what kind of person lies so that they'll die? Well, that takes us to the next thing and thought that some people have about Jesus. Some people say, well, he was, he was deranged. He was a lunatic. He was, he was insane. He was, he was crazy. He, he didn't have all of his mental faculties. And, and, and the struggle with that is, if Jesus was deranged, how did he teach the things he taught? People who are mentally deranged don't come up consistently with the type of wise thoughts that Jesus had. When you look at Jesus' interaction with the people of his day, his ability to think rationally on his feet was absolutely amazing. The most brilliant minds of Jesus' day were constantly attempting to trip him up. And they would plan and, and they would prepare and they would, they would work on their words. And they would come to Jesus and say, surely we've got him this time. But every time they brought something to Jesus, Jesus would confound them. How did he do it? Well, not because he was deranged or crazy. He did it because he was the wisest person to ever walk the planet. And so who was Jesus? Well, there's a variety of opinions out there. John Lennon, when he was still alive, said that, that the Beatles are more popular than Jesus. And one day there will not be Christianity on the planet anymore. That's what John Lennon said. Oprah Winfrey said, certainly Jesus isn't the only way to God. Miguel Gorbachev said that Jesus was the first socialist. There are a variety of opinions about Jesus, but, but Jesus listened to his disciples. What's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And then he said, but you, who do you say I am? You see, he was bringing it home, wasn't he? He was saying it really doesn't matter what everybody else says. The question is, what do you say? Now, the question here is emphatic. When you look at the original language, the Greek, the word you is the very first word in the sentence. And so what Jesus is saying is you, you, you. What about you? Who do you say I am? And you see in the end, that's really what matters, doesn't it? It doesn't matter what your neighbor says about Jesus. It doesn't matter what the president thinks about Jesus. It doesn't matter what Oprah thinks about Jesus. It doesn't matter what some religious group thinks about Jesus. It doesn't matter what your parents say about Jesus. It doesn't matter what I think about Jesus. In the end, the only thing that matters is who do you say Jesus is? And so there are a variety of answers, but as Jesus begins to nail it down, he says there's only one right answer. And Peter got it right. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know what Peter did? He was confessing what Jesus would later on admit. I'm the Christ. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Son of God. So he was confessing what Jesus claimed. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Someone once said, if Jesus is just a man, the heart of the good news is ripped out of Christianity and the Bible is not worth the paper it is written on. You see, what I've discovered is that many people today want to admire Jesus, but they don't want to bow down to Jesus. So who is Jesus to you? There's only one right answer. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But there's one final thing, and that is the right answer. If you have the right answer, it's a revealed answer. Jesus said this to Peter. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father. In other words, what Jesus said to Peter is this. You're right. But for you to understand that both up here and in here... Man didn't reveal this to you. The Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Jesus was saying, it wasn't your your reasoning. It wasn't your intellect. It wasn't your merit. It wasn't your calculation. It wasn't your analysis. It wasn't your intuition. It wasn't your religious tradition that showed you this. The only way you could have known this is that the Father revealed it to you. Here's what it says in John 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. The Apostle Paul said this. No one calls Jesus Lord, but by the Spirit of God revealing it to him. In other words, the only way that I can come to the point that I know who Jesus is, is the Father speaking to my heart. Now, what does that mean to us today? Because I want you to know that God's word, in my opinion, makes it very clear that God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. The Bible says God wants all men to be saved. So what does that mean? That means that if you're here right now and you know who Jesus is up here, and you know it right here, it's because God is working in your life right now to bring you to himself. If you don't know him. The Holy Spirit is working in your life. The Holy Spirit is teaching you truths that that on your own, you'll never accept because they make no sense. That's why the Bible says the world calls the preaching of the cross foolish. Doesn't make sense to the world. The Holy Spirit has to work on you. That's why in the end, hear my heart. For true life change to take place, it doesn't matter who is preaching. It doesn't matter how eloquent they are, how great of an orator they are. It really doesn't matter because in the end, if I can convince you to do something, it's not going to be real. Only the Holy Spirit of God can draw you to God. And if you know that you're a sinner and you need a Savior, that's God speaking to you. And you would be foolish to walk out of this room and refuse to respond to Him.
And so we're at confession time. Who do you say Jesus is? You, you, you. Who do you say Jesus is? John 3 verse 18, it says this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. In verse 36, it goes on and says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath is on him. In John 20, verse 31, John is wrapping up his gospel, his, his message Trying to reveal to the world who this man called Jesus is. Is he the son of God? And John says this. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The son of God. And that by believing you might have life in his name. How do we have eternal life? There's only one way. By believing that Jesus is the son of God. But understand Believing that Jesus is the Son of God will have implications that change your life. You may intellectually accept it, but for your spirit and will to receive it, the Father has to speak to you and reveal to you. Now, I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. As we begin this series, Son of God, And we discover for the next six weeks all the evidence that proves that Jesus is the Son of God. My question for you this morning is this. Who is Jesus to you? Is he the Son of God? Is he God in the flesh? Is he the one who is coming in the clouds one day to set up a kingdom and he will rule and reign in that kingdom forever and all the people who are in that kingdom will worship him and serve him forever? Is that who he is to you? Are you worshiping him today? If you will worship him then, you're worshiping him today. Are you serving him today? If you're going to serve him in that kingdom, you're going to serve him in the kingdom today. So is he the son of God to you? Has he changed your life? My prayer is that every one of us here know Jesus as the son of God. But if you don't, oh please, don't leave here without receiving him. And if you're here and you know he is, you know that he is, but you've never received him. The only way you know he is is because Jesus is trying his hardest to reveal himself to you. His father is letting you in on the greatest news of human history. There is a savior. And he's chosen you to be a part of that family. But you've got to receive him. So if you're here and you haven't received Jesus as the son of God, the savior of your sins, I want to encourage you to do that right now. And you can, you can ask him by praying a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for living in rebellion against you. Forgive me for living a selfish life, self-centered life. I don't want to live that way anymore. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross, rose from the grave for my sins. I believe that you and you alone are worthy of worship.
I believe that you and you alone are worthy of my service. I believe that you and you alone are worthy of my life. Today, I'm giving my life to you. Save me. Change me. Make me into the person you want me to be. Amen.